Hey everybody, Chad here. I wanted to come and give a little devotional thought through walking line upon line of Psalm 85. One of the main themes throughout this psalm is how bent on, how God is so bent on there being agreement between heaven, where he reigns and rules, and the earth, where we live life and it's amazing how we experience seasons of renewal and blessing and then seasons of discipline, correction, repentance, another season of renewal and these these patterns that that not only God's people throughout scripture in the Old Testament with uh, with Israel, but in our own lives we experience ups and downs, troughs and valleys, um, victories and then setbacks. But there's this, this steady undercurrent throughout Psalm 85 that I'm really, really encouraged by today. And so I just want to walk through it. Let's, let's read it. And we'll make a few comments along the way and then just pray that God would uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see what he's doing in this hour and that we could respond in kind to what he's doing. And so let's, let's go through the psalm together. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all of their sins. You set aside all of your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. And so I just made a bullet point. These are the things God did and the things God does. He showed favor, restores fortunes. He forgives iniquities, covered all sins, set aside his wrath and turn aside from his fierce anger. And so just as we begin this psalm, it's amazing that this is the stuff God does. So no matter what you're facing or walking through, whatever season you're in, he is bent on restoring, on forgiving, on healing, on turning from wrath, turning from fierce anger. This is the heart of the God that we serve and that is so perfectly revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's move on. He goes on to say, restore us again. So now the people are in hard times. He did all of that great stuff for him, but now the psalmist is, is rehearsing the story again that they're, they're, in, they're in a season of great dif- difficulty. Restore us again, God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with this forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Again, in a bullet point, for, bullet point form, restore us again, revive us, show us your unfailing love, and grant us your salvation. So again, it's as if the Lord, it's, we're, we're slow to listen, we're slow to learn, we're slow to sustain what God releases. And so what he already did, he had to do again because of the rebellion and the people of God who are turning away from God's wisdom and God's will and God's ways. And I want to just say right now, this does not have to be the case. And we're going to see it at the end of this psalm, that there is a place in the grace of God where we don't have to have those seasons of running running well for the Lord, running after his heart, and then retreating back to sin. Okay, we're, we're back with the Lord. Ah, now we need him to no. I love how honest this psalm is because that has been so many of our experiences, but my hope is we, the Lord releases fresh grace for us today um, through the rest of this passage. 
So a corollary scripture is in Isaiah 59. This is so powerful. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are stained with blood and your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely and your tongue mutters wicked things. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. I love this definition of sin by Cornelius Plantinga. It's vandalism on God's shalom. I'm going to finish this passage and make a few comments. Uh, Isaiah 59, 12. For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. And beloved, Psalm 50, Isaiah 59, it, it it's feels like commentary on the day and age in which we live, where our offenses have separated us. Truth, look at that language of truth is like this it's like this it's stumbling, drunk, intoxicated in the streets. Righteousness stands at a distance. Justice is driven back. Why? Because we are choosing to live our own lives in our pride and in our arrogance according to our own wisdom, will, and ways instead of living out of God's vision for what is good, what is true, right, just, and beautiful. And so in this passage of Isaiah as it relates to Psalm 85. The only remedy is not to look within, but to look without, to look up, and to call on God. But this is what God promises, even in a scenario. By the way, Isaiah 59 ends with, there was no one to intervene, so God himself intervened. And if we need, if I've ever needed God to intervene in our culture, in our city, in our families, in our lives, in our schools, in our churches, in our workplace and world, it is now. It is now. Listen what it goes on to say in, in Psalm 84, Psalm 85. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Hold on to that word. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. I will listen to his voice again in bullet point. He promises peace, salvation for those who fear him, and he wants his glory to dwell in our land. Now, here's what's so interesting. That verse 8, where he says, let them not turn to folly. Folly is, is, a, is a, another way to talk about being foolish or arrogant or, or prideful. And how relevant in a month that our culture calls pride to say, don't turn to folly. Don't turn to foolishness. Don't just spurn God's wisdom, God's, God's will, God's ways. Don't redefine what is true, what is good, what is right, just and beautiful according to your own lusts and pleasures and desires. 
and as as you feel the the, the pressure or maybe the internal turmoil of, of the days in which we're walking and living in, I want you to know there is hope. He promises peace. He wants to bring salvation to those who fear him, which is to say those who receive who refuse to live a compartmentalized life where God is only interested in this small sliver and the rest I'll take care of. No, living in the fear of God is living a God-saturated, Christ-exalting lifestyle where all of life matters to God. That's living in the fear of the Lord. He says it again, let them not turn to folly. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven and all on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. So even right now, the Lord is looking, it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, throughout the earth, to and fro, are there any whose hearts are fully given over to me? Because I will strengthen those who are fully given over to me and to my purposes. And in this hour where it's so easy to just lose heart, lose confidence, lose courage, or just be bitter and angry. And, you know, we don't know what to do with all the zeal. We see so much that flies in the faith of God, flies in, flies in the face of the blood of Jesus, flies in the face of his wisdom, flies in the face of what he's called good and true and right, just and beautiful. It flies in the face of, of the, the, the whole thing. It's easy to lose heart. It's easy, though, in that space to give in to folly instead of doubling down and locking eyes with God and getting into his word and submitting ourselves and, and asking God, is there any offensive way in me? Instead of just trying to find the offensive ways in the other. It's so easy to get caught up in this. And even as a believer, it's easy to have lip service, a confessional faith, but yet our hearts and our operational faith, our actual lifestyle are not in continuity with what we confess to believe. This is why all of us need so much grace. All of us need so much grace. Look what it goes on to say. Folly is functional atheism. Living as if there is no God, or worse, living as if we are God. And I always say this in almost every sermon, so I'm sorry for the repetition, not sorry. It's living with no reverence for God, so we're not worshiping, and with no reference to God. So we're therefore, we're, we're cut off from the supreme source of wisdom and that which actually will lead to flourishing, that, will, that which actually will lead to love, that which actually will lead to a full and vibrant life, that, that which actually will lead to the life we all long to live for and experience. But it's living with no reverence for God and no reference to God. And so we, we, we invent things to celebrate. And, and not just things that are, that are like good in and of themselves, but things that God and, and his own character and his own wisdom and his own word and his own law declares not good, unjust or sinful or twisted or immoral. And we're in a generation and in an hour where those things aren't just tolerated, accepted, and all just, you know, boys will be boys, what, let people live how they want, but they're celebrated, they're exalted to a high and lofty place. And beloved, we need to cry out to God for mercy for him to intervene. Look what those who those who live in folly, look what it says. Those who live according to the flesh, which is the source of folly, the sinful heart that's unregenerate, 
apart from the grace of God and the power of the gospel. They have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed, the mind governed ruling our own empire of self by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And so this issue of folly, this issue of the life we experience, I know we've taken a long way from Psalm 85, but that's just unpacking why God forgives and restores, and then we find ourselves in a broken place because of our sin. But he wants to restore again and restore us to peace. But it all revolves around what is our operational reality? Are we living according to the flesh towards what we are saying is right and wrong? Are we living according to the Spirit and relying on God to be the one who's worthy of our soul sufficient, worthy of our worship, and the source of the wisdom we need to live a life that leads to flourishing? He says this in Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And again, Psalm 85, I will listen to what the Lord says. He promises peace to his people. And what God promises he will perform. So we stand at a crossroads. We know what you've done, Lord, throughout salvation history. We know what you've done throughout church history. We know what you've done throughout revival history. We know what you've done in our own lives and the ups and downs, troughs and valleys. But God, you've promised to restore peace if we'll respond to your grace and to your word in this hour. What God promises, he will perform. So beloved, don't lose heart. God's word is true. God's will and wisdom are pure and perfect and they lead to full and vibrant life. Look at it, to go back to Isaiah 57 in continuity with this passage. I was enraged by their sinful greed, so I punished them and I hid my face in anger, speaking of Israel. Yet they kept on in their willful ways, but I have seen their ways and just hold on to this promise but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The Lord will heal, guide, and restore. So when we think about our culture and we think about our own lives, God is bent on healing, restoring, and guiding if we'll respond. And what's so crazy, again, I know we're, we're in a month that's called Pride Month. It's on every channel, every show, every brand, every label. Uh, we're just inundated from every angle. But the tragedy of something that's called Pride Month is that's the only category of people that God fundamentally resists are the proud, the arrogant, the self-exalting. This has nothing to do with having a good personality or being, you know, uh, a confident person. It's pride. It's this that again, living without reverence for God or reference to God, naming our own truth according to our own desires our own will, our own wants, our own wishes, our own lusts, and then wanting everyone else to affirm, approve, and applaud. And if you don't, there will be consequences. And I want you to know, even in a culture like that, even in a culture in our, in our own hearts where we say one thing and live another, 
God still wants to heal, guide, and restore. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. He's not done with us. So don't lose heart. Call on his name. Look how the psalm ends. This is just absolutely breathtaking. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. (laughs) Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. So just like I shared on Sunday, if you were here, God is looking just for one who will value his presence, who will value his purposes, who will value his wisdom, who will value and treasure his word, who will yield themselves to living and get and, and, and obeying his will in every sphere of culture, media, art, uh, acting, school, nurses, doctors, business, entrepreneurs, first responders, doctors, nurses, stay-at-home moms, all, all the above. I'm missing some spheres of culture, church, nonprofits, etc. All the seven cultural streams that that shape and and, and cultivate the the life and the cities and the places we inhabit that can add, either add value and towards flourishing in God's vision of the kingdom coming on earth or in heaven, or be like vandalism on His good creation and on on His shalom. But I want you to see that he's just looking for one to come into agreement. He's just looking for one who will refuse to get swept up into the 10,000 narratives vying for our affection, our attention, and our ultimate allegiance and just say, no, I will live according to God's will with humility, but with faithfulness and with love. How we live matters. God wants our agreement with his word and ways to prepare the way for him to come and dwell in our midst in greater measure. Where do you find yourself in this psalm? Do you find yourself in that first stanza, in a season of gratitude for the goodness of God and the work of his grace, that he showed favor, he's restored fortunes, he's forgiven your iniquity, covered your sin, set aside his wrath, etc.? If you're in that season, praise God. Maybe you're new to the faith or you've just, uh, you just now begin to taste of the goodness of God. Man, bask in that season. You actually don't ever have to leave that place of gratitude for his goodness and for his grace. But maybe you find yourself in a season of rebellion and sin. You're caught up in patterns of, of behavior that are destructive to you and to those around you. And so look at the next part of the psalm. Maybe you're in a season of conviction chastisement and discipline where God's bringing correction, cleansing, and he's asking you to freshly consecrate yourself again. Well, here's your cry. Restore me again. Restore us again, Lord. Revive us. Show us your unfailing love. Grant us your salvation. And I want you to know the Bible says that he disciplines those that he loves. The, the, the whole point that he would bring conviction means he's not done with you. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is your friend. Condemnation from the enemy is to be resisted and not tolerated. But conviction is specific. Conviction comes with hope because he doesn't just show us what's wrong inside, but he also reveals what is his, the, the right path we're meant to, uh, to follow, the attitude or the character that we're meant to cultivate. So conviction is glorious. It's our friend. 
Or maybe he's bringing correction to patterns of thought or behavior or attitudes. He wants to bring cleansing and for you to consecrate yourself. Or maybe the last part of the psalm, you're in a season of reflection and repentance, renewal and revival. And you say, I will listen to the Lord's voice. He promises peace, salvation for those who fear him. He wants his glory to dwell in our land. God wants agreement between heaven and earth. And this issue of agreement flows right through every human heart. Look at the language again in verses 10 through 13. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. And beloved, I want you to know, wherever you find yourself on this psalm, Psalm 85, God responds to those who respond to him. So even if, you're, even if you feel conviction for something in your life that is, is off kilter or that's just outright sinful and you know it, but you don't, you don't know what to do. Call on his name. He wants to create praise on your lips. Remember that promise of, of Isaiah 59. He wants to heal, restore, and guide. And so that's just a, a little simple reflection through this psalm. But I thought it was so relevant just for the day and age in which we live that no matter how dark or hopeless or, in, or discouraging or confusing you may feel, God has, God has a vision and it's agreement between heaven and earth, between our hearts and his heart. And though you may not be able to answer for all of those around you, you can answer the question yourself, Lord, am I in agreement with your wisdom, with your will, and with your ways? And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for this amazing passage. I thank you, Lord, for the promises that are contained in it that you want to show us your unfailing love. You want to forgive us our iniquity. Lord, you want to turn from your wrath and your fierce anger. God, you want to restore us and revive us and show us your unfailing covenant of love. You, even though truth is nowhere to be found within us and justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance, you want to stretch out your righteous right hand and to bring breakthrough and blessing and restoration to our broken lives. And God, I pray that you would just release your voice in the hearts and minds and lives of your people today. But that, like it says in Psalm 85, we will listen to what the Lord says. We will listen to what you say. And Father, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys. Live in that Psalm. Maybe read it before you go to bed or when you wake up. And just walk through it line upon line and say, Holy Spirit, how can I come into greater agreement with your wisdom with God's word, God's will in my life and in the lives of those that I love, lead, and do life with. We'll see you next time.